Hey, we're in week three of our series, if you didn't know that. Uh, and again, the premise is we all want to make a difference, right? We all want to matter, right, to somebody. And so I've been, I've been watching, as you have, you've been watching the news, and not just for the past week, for the past, like, 11 months, because you have nothing else to do. So we, we, I watch a lot of news now. Uh, it's just the craziest thing. For me personally, one of the most amazing developments, right, in an otherwise very painful tragedy that is COVID, um, was watching, on the one hand, um, the sheer immensity, the sheer scope of the needs that grew out of, out of COVID, Right? It's like the ripples. The ripples keep going. They keep going. It's, not, it's like all, even the, the, a supercomputer model, I, I'm not terribly certain, could have predicted all of the effects, all of the needs that have been rippling out. I mean, Coca-Cola can't even sell their product. And you're like, what, what does that have to do with COVID? Well, everyone's at home drinking, and <laughs> there's not a lot of aluminum, so Coca-Cola can't give you Coca-Cola. It's just the craziest thing that these ripples, they, they affect all aspects of our lives. So on the one hand, we have that, just this, this, this growth and multiplication of needs. But on the other hand, you have people, individuals, and groups of people who have stepped up and decided, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to, I'm going to matter, right? They, 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 they have this, this, this attitude. And again, they, they, they know they can't meet all the needs, but they have this attitude. And it was the, the attitude of Helen Keller. She, she writes this, I, I'm only one, but still I am one. I can do, I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Now, I'm sure they're health workers, right? Health workers, they have been just inundated. Um, probably feel a bit like uh, Holden Caulfield, if any of you ever read The Catcher in the Ride. It's a crazy, crazy, amazing book. Um, Holden is reeling in personal pain. His brother's died. He's been kicked out of school, and he's just, he's... He's, he's, he's terribly, terribly confused, and he keeps having this, this dream. He's in a field. He's in a field of rye, and all these children, all these innocents are, are going by him, and there's a cliff, and he's trying to stop them. He's trying to save as many as he can. He's just overwhelmed, though, with the sheer scope and immensity of the number of children and, and innocents coming through this field, and they're going over this cliff, and he's trying to save them, and he's trying to save them, and he's, and he's simply overwhelmed. He has this idea that he has to save everybody, but he knows he can't, and it's just driving him deeper, deeper into this, this despair. And I, I can imagine, right, Frontline workers and, and health workers feeling this as, as the, numbers are, the numbers are just off the charts and, and they're just grabbing and saving who they can. And it's crushing them. You see this on the news. They're, this, is a, this is an emotional. We're asking them now to decide if this one will live and this one won't. We're going to ignore this one, the one that probably won't live but could. We're just going to have to ignore him and save this one that we're fairly certain will live. Right? They're, they're doing military triage. Right? They, they were not equipped to be doing this kind of thing, and yet this... And so you, you feel this, right? And then you realize, I think I realize, or maybe, maybe a better word to say is I, I, I catch just a glimpse, a, a glimpse of what Jesus must have felt like. Right? Can you imagine being the Son of God and, 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 and being filled with the Holy Spirit to a degree that, that a lot of us, would, we, we try and, and maybe we get close, but, but he seemed to be just filled all the time. And if he was that filled, the number of needs that he must have seen and felt as he just made his way through his life. 
I think we, we, again, when we look at this situation, we catch a glimpse of what Jesus might have felt like. This is in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. It says this, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, what had just happened is he had just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. Right? So he, he is like holding call. He's reeling in personal loss. He is feeling this. This is somebody important in his life, in his family's life, certainly. And he's just found out that not only was he killed, but he was beheaded because, by Herod's wife because he had kind of called her out, her lifestyle, her life choices. Um, and, and maybe he's also feeling compassion fatigue, right? I, I can imagine if that's all you do all day long is meet the needs of others, you are susceptible to compassion fatigue. But the crowds follow him, and they follow him, and they follow him. When Jesus landed and saw the crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Again, reeling from his own personal loss, he tries to escape the overwhelming needs of the crowd, and yet they never stop. The needs never stop. And you see him as you go through the Gospels. He's constantly trying to retreat, right, to step away from the crowds, if only for a moment, just to recharge and to recenter himself and to be refilled with the Holy Spirit, and, and, and you watch this. You watch this every single time when the crowds show up. I mean, you can almost picture Jesus. He's got he's in his window seat. He's got his little comfy Afghan and a cup of co- hot cocoa. I don't know if he drank coffee, but, he, you know, and he's like, you know, some me time, right? You all have me time. And then what do you do when a need comes up? A lot of times, I mean, a person's like, oh, come on, I'm, I'm, this is my devotional time. Call me back later. <laughs> but Jesus like, oh, man, the crowds, the needs. I can't not meet them. I literally, I don't care how tired I am, I I, I can't not meet them. So he leaves his devotional time, his me time, and he goes out and heals their sick. And then, and then, you know, most of you guys, you're not going to get this, but I know a lot of women in the group, they're going to get this totally, right? After all that, like a whole bunch of people show up, like 5,000 men. And so Jesus hosts a dinner party for 5,000 men and their families. After that day, he's like, he, he can't stop. He sees a need and he can't stop. But let's just be super clear about one thing this morning. Really, really, really clear on this. This is all Jesus' fault. Jesus brought all of this on himself. Like, well, how, Pastor, <laughs> you're going a little off deep in there. No, no, check it out. Jesus actively chose to become aware. And a lot of you this past week, you actively chose to become aware based on last sermon's message, which I know you listened to and took to heart. And this week has been kind of turmoil because you've been looking around and you've been like becoming aware, and your awareness has shown you that the needs are immense. And there's so much, and you're now like, well, which of these needs will I, I can't meet all these needs. There's just so, so, so many of them. Ignorance was bliss, wasn't it? (laughs) Ignorance was bliss. But like Jesus, you understand the greatness principle, right? When you bless others, God blesses you. And this isn't a manipulative kind of thing. This isn't a calculating kind of thing. Last week, we talked about the separation of the sheep and the goats and something that I didn't go into, but I'll just say really quickly right here is, they were a very calcula- half of them were very calculating, right? Half of them came to Jesus and said, basically, look, um, 
If we had known it was you, we would have helped. But it was, come on, Jesus, it was a nobody. But if it had been you, we would have, oh, yeah, we would have been right on it. And the ones that did help, that did help, they weren't calculating, right? They weren't adding up blessings like, okay, God, right, I helped, right? They, they just saw a need and they met the, They couldn't help themselves. They weren't being manipulative. They had no idea that they were helping Jesus. They were helping somebody that the other group decided wasn't worth helping, And so we have one crowd being very, very calculating and the other crowd being not calculating, but just that's just what they did, what they did. When you bless others, God blesses you. It's not a a calculating kind of thing. And like Jesus, you recognize that being aware of the needs around you is only the beginning, right? Um, And as overwhelming as becoming aware might be, I'll just tell you right now, it's not going to get all that much easier, right? Because you're going to have to go through some very, very conscious and very difficult steps, right? A transition. Um, Blessing others and receiving God's blessings hinges on our willingness to move from an awareness of the needs and opportunities around us to actually meeting them, to obeying God and saying, yes, I will. That's a big step. Simply becoming aware is one thing, but then are you going to be obedient when he says, okay, move, do something, You're now aware of it, and I want you to do something. I don't care what you do, do something. You're only one person. I know you're only one person, but you are one person, and you can do something. And like Helen Keller, we're all incredibly well aware that we're only one person, we're only one church, and we certainly can't do everything. And what is absolutely amazing to me is the fact that Jesus had the very same reaction, right? Like, I'm only one person. No, no, you don't believe me. Watch this. This is in John chapter 14, verse 12. He says, very, verily, very truly, verily, verily, my King James jumped in there. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Right? So in other words, Jesus knows that even as God with us, as God incarnate in, the, in man, in Jesus Christ, he was only one person. He was only one person. While he was in this place, he could not help this person over here. Even though they might have only been a mile apart, maybe 200 yards apart, he could not help them because he was here and they were here. He was incredibly limited. Even as the Son of God, he was incredibly limited in time and space. But when he goes to the Father, whoo! Then it's going to get crazy. Then it's going to get nutty. Watch this. The gift of the Holy Spirit is given in such a way that Jesus literally ends up with a, like millions of little mini-me's running around. Like, and he knew this. He knew this. It's, it's, I, I, this is my, my analogy. And, and again, you guys should understand this being in, from Hanford, <laughs> bomb people. Uh, do you like, are you okay with being called bomb people? I, I love it. I love the Richland High logo too. Anyway, um, when I was in like third grade, which means that everyone in this room probably saw this film too, right? Because when I saw it in third grade, it looked like it was about 40 years old. Um, and, and it was explaining nuclear fission, right? And I don't know if you all saw this thing, and, and they had a whole room full of uh, mouse traps with ping pong balls, right? Do you remember that? And this is what nuclear fusion was. He tossed out one ping pong ball, and it went... 
right? The big old nuclear explosion, right? You've seen them in the films. And, and this is what I envision, right? This is what I envision with, with COVID hitting like this, this incredible ripple. But then God's people step forward one at a time. And they were that same imagery. And I think in this passage, Jesus Christ knows that when he goes to the Father and he releases the Holy Spirit into each one of our individual lives, it's going to be that ping pong thing all over. It's just going to be a mushroom cloud, right? It will be unstoppable. And and he knows this. Love that. Love that. Now, the good news is that God doesn't expect you to meet every need and every opportunity that you see. That's, it would be unrealistic, right? Even Jesus didn't. As you read through the Gospels, there's some times when he just like, I, I, I got to focus. I know there's some other things going on, but then as you watch him, he'll do it and then he'll sneak back and take care of somebody because he can't help himself. That's just, that's just what he does. But that being said, that there are so many opportunities and it's easy to be overwhelmed. This is very important. Don't let the overwhelming number of opportunities to serve keep you from taking advantage of the right opportunities to serve. Let me let that sink in just a little bit. There is a huge number, but there's also a right, right, that that just fits you. And we're going to kind of get into that just a little bit. The second step of living by the greatness principle, rather than jumping at every opportunity that presents itself, we allow the Holy Spirit, right, to guide you and, and to direct your passions and your energies from the many to the right one, several only initiating action as God guides us is the key, the key element, right, in moving from awareness to sustainable service. And again, I fully recognize this process tends to be, right, finding that one ministry, what, what's Will's, God's will for my life in serving. Um, it tends to be, it, as you talk to people, maybe a little bit more art than science, um, But as we listen to trusted confidants, friends, Christians, um, as we pray, as we ask questions, um, generally, and this is what we've found, you've probably found the same thing, and people will testify to this, he generally gives you one of three answers, right? Whatever it is, you're you're looking at something, you're looking at opportunity, God has shown you something, and he's going to say one of three things. I'm going to make this very, very short, three simple words, right? He's going to say, go, no, or slow. Right? And again, you might not hear, you probably won't hear the voice, go, my son, with you I'm well pleased. But you're going to hear that is from, you're going to hear that from a lot of different people. You're going to hear that from a lot of different situations around whatever you're driving at. When I started seeing the schools, doors just started opening. People started calling. It was the craziest thing. It almost, it's almost like God showed me something and I looked into it and he's like, almost by me, like push me, right? You see this, Jerry, right? Follow it up, follow it up. And then sometimes he'll say no. And there maybe there are probably at least two reasons for this. Number one, he's got something else he wants you doing, right? You can be good at this, but he's going to have you be great at something else, right? A good book, great, good to great. Um, and, and, and another reason might be is that he's got somebody else that he wants to bless in this position. Because as we're learning, when we're blessing others, built into that love that becomes the mechanism for God to bless us, how we bless others. And again, once again, um, and then the last one, proceed. Go slowly. Timing isn't right, but don't walk away from it. Don't walk away from this, right? And you'll just feel. And again, 
You're not going to find this numbered out, you know, step one, two, three, four, that God follows. It, it gets a little higgly-piggly, I, I admit that. Um, but the testimony of millions, millions, millions of Christians who have who found their joy in serving will back me up on all this. Um, again, recognizing that choosing correctly is a little bit difficult. Um, maybe a good place to start would be examining you, yourself, how you are naturally put together. Um, Paul writes this to the letters uh, to the Christians in Rome. This is in chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. I'll go to verse 8. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given, according to what God has given us. Kind of an odd way of saying it. We have different grace according to what God's given us um, to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in, in accordance with your faith. If it's in serving, then serve. If it's in teaching, then teach. Right? God's gifted people differently to meet the incredibly wide range of needs that you will meet when you go out and decide to become aware of needs, right? You're going to see that, yeah, I could probably meet that one, but there's no way because I'm not this, I'm not that. And you will see things that, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. And your imagination begins to go kind of crazy. Man, I could do that. And oh man, if I did this and oh, if I, if I did that, this is a biblical acknowledgement that nobody can do it alone, right? Nobody can do all of it. I'm going to keep reading. Verse 8, it says this. If it is to give courage, then to give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. And if it is to lead, then do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. And then Psalm 129 tells us that God has molded each one of us for a very specific purpose. This is starting in verse 13. For you have created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. And here's what I want to point your attention to, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, there's two ways to read this passage. One way is, is a predestination kind of way where, where your choices that you make, your freedom of choice is an illusion. You don't have any choices. All your days were ordained. I think that is a wrong way. I don't read it that way. You may, and, and you will not suffer in hell, I promise you, <laughs> right? We, we have a lot of it. We've looked at this. Um, but the other way to read this is tie it to the phrase which is grammatically attached, right? It proceeds from your eyes saw my unformed body. God orchestrated and created and therefore saw how you were going to be put together, what it would look like when it was finished, what your body, mind, soul, and spirit would be. He looked at me and said, I know this guy's going to want to slam dunk a basketball, but he will never, ever be able to slam a basketball. Slam dunk. He just he won't be able to do it, right? This passage is saying from, from, from this moment, from the moment that I was created in my mother's room, womb to forever, I will be uniquely me and you will be uniquely you. Just a different way of reading this passage. You were ordained to love animals or care for the ill or have a nearly unquenchable desire to teach people whatever you're learning. That's the way God put me together. I can't help but share things I've discovered. I, I can't keep my mouth shut. That's the way he, it's like he saw me. He's like, I know what he's going to be like, right? My or, my, my, the days were somewhat ordained because they would follow who I am. I wouldn't become an NBA star. That was ordained ordained simply by the way I was put together. It's not like God said, I'm not going to let him. He won't be able to. I, he's not going to be put together that way. So he needs to stop trying and get over it. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, all right. And why are the gifts given? This is in uh, 1 Corinthians, a letter Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. 
chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now this passage and others like it have incredible ramifications. I won't start a ministry unless I have a minister. Not an ordained minister, but somebody who, like, God's called me. I, you know, Carmichael. I kind of jumped into that, and I thought, well, I can't be. I, I, I need to be writing sermons, and I need to be praying and things like that. And, and I kind of sat on it, and, and God said, just, just hold on. Just be patient. And y'all know what happened. Several people stepped forward, and it's like, this is what they've been, this is what they, and I stepped back, and I was like, oh, God, you are so amazing. This is just so, again, the idea is um, well-intentioned folks, they, they, they see a need, um, and, they, and then they'll call me and point out the need. And then they'll, sometimes they'll literally hang up the phone. All right, pastor, handle it. I pointed it out. Now you need to do something about it, either me personally or the church. That becomes quickly unsustainable. I promise you, you don't have any idea how many people are calling me, how many needs are in this community. And we are, again, we are only one people, but we are one people, and we can do something. But we got to figure out who we are and how we can best serve this, this community. It's simply unsustainable to meet all of these needs. Now, again, that being said, kind of talking about spiritual gifts, and if you spend some time in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12 of Romans, you're going to get a lot of body talk. And I really didn't talk a lot about it, and um, this whole gifts thing, that would be another whole sermon, but but let me just finish this point by saying um, don't overestimate spiritual gifts, inventories, personality tests, things like that. There are other questions that you need to be asking. Here are just a few of them right on the screen and beside me here. Um, What do you love to do, right? Do you have lots of positive and productive experience doing something in particular? What comes naturally to you? Are you outgoing? Are you more introverted? Are you laid back? Are you kind of a driven personality, right? How did God wire your psychology or your, you know, your attitudes, Um, Again, lots of times it's just a trial, trial and error. Um, a previous church that I worked at, uh, they made a very, very distinct point of when we asked people for commitments, the first commitment was always a short one, right? Because we didn't want them stuck in a year-long commitment when after week two they realized that they hated it, right? And the people that they were serving hated them. I, I, two quick stories. My daughter one day at summer camp, high school camp, came up and said, hey, I want to help you with the junior hires. I nearly broke out crying. Um, I said, hey, you start immediately. So that very week after summer camp, she started. And about two weeks later, she came and said, she understood the way the church worked. She said, dad, can I step away from this? I hate junior hires. <laughs> I, I hate to say that. but but. And then another story, I had a mom come in and says, oh, I feel God leading me. I, I see you have a need for teens and everything. And I said, well, we'll give you a, a short-term commitment. We'll bring you all in here. And well, at the end of that very short term, find out. She comes to me and says, well, I, I really don't, I don't feel equipped. And what I didn't tell her is that, well, well the kids hate you. <laughs> I, right? And, and if I'd stuck her in there for a year, all the damage it would have done to her and to the kids, and it just would have been. And so I, I want to encourage you, just uh, 
Volunteer for a short little commitment. Try some things. Try some things, and, and you will find out, right? You're, you're going to experiment and, and find out maybe some things you really like and some things that you thought you wouldn't like. I tell you what, I promise you this. When I first started working with junior hires, I thought, Lord, what did I do wrong? Right? I followed you as faithfully as I could, and now you've made me a junior high school teacher. Lo and behold, that, that, that changed my whole life. That became my number one love in life is working with junior high students. Who would have figured Right? My dad told me when I was growing up, don't become a school teacher. Don't become a junior high school teacher because he was. Don't, don't do it, son. <laughs> and I did. And, and I don't regret a second of it. Not a second of it. Now, again, these are the questions that we need to explore if you're stepping into like something a little bit more longer term. Maybe you're thinking of investing some of your money or you're going to sign up, you know, sign on the dotted line. I mean, what I'm talking about kind of is, is, a, is, a, is a bigger picture kind of serving opportunity, something that you can kind of jump into long term. Um, but I'll just tell you right now that quite possibly the best, easiest, quickest, most overlooked route, I wrote all these words down because they're is this. Watch this. This is what we read earlier. This is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27. This is probably the best way to figure out what you're good at and what God has called you to do. Don't withhold good from those from whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Carmichael, teens, children, I mean, their stories can go on and on and on. Lots of powerful, lifelong serving opportunities started when a simple need presented itself to you, and you said, I got the means to meet that. Got time. Dinner's on. I'm good. I can do this. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to do so. I'm going to meet this need. And then it grew. It was the beginning of something. I was like, wow, I was really good. I enjoyed that. I was effective. God blessed the situation. Sign me up. Can I do this more permanently? Is there like a job where I can do this kind of thing? And that's what happens. Again, it's so very, very easy to get caught up in the whole spiritual gifts inventories and the personality tests or, or like, I don't know enough. Right? That's a little bit outside my comfort zone. They make me feel so uncomfortable. This isn't a good time for me. Now, some of these are real, but they also become excuses to deny or delay what God is calling you to do. And the one I love personally, shouldn't the pastors be doing that? <laughs> That's my favorite. I love it. Listen, the Carmichael food drive, Operation Christmas Child, things like that. Look, you don't need to go to prayer on things like that. I, I, I'm just going to say it. You don't need to have a God conversation. Visiting a sick friend, colleague, coworker, right? Church member doesn't require that you seek God's direction. Encouraging a coworker down in the dumps it doesn't require a spiritual gifts test or a personality test. You just need to stop for a moment and, hey, you look kind of down. Is there something I can do? To a person who thought everybody was ignoring them and they were totally alone. Those words alone phew, turn a day around, turn a week around. There's no need to pray over these smaller kinds of opportunities to bless folks, right? He's already told us how to meet those needs. Don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Again, several reasons come to mind why a person wouldn't help, right? When they most easily could help. Either you don't love the person. Let me change that. You don't even like them enough to help them, let alone love them. You don't like them. 
If you liked them, you would probably help them. If you loved them, I know you would help them. Or maybe this is the other one, you just chose not to be ready. I was at a previous church, and a man came up to the parsonage. He was drunk, and he was demanding that I, he was a part of the congregation, he was demanding that I give him $5 to go buy his son a candy bar. Now, I knew this person. I knew what he was going to spend that 5 bucks on. He was going to go get a bottle because I told him, I'll go get the candy bar. Like, no, 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 no. It's got to come from me. It's got to... And, he, and, he, and he finally left very, very angry, and it, it struck me. I don't, I don't agree, but it made me think. He got on his bike, and he looked back at me, and he was a big guy, and he was scary, and he said, Pastor, you better have money on you the next time somebody comes and needs it. I was like, but he, he had a point. I had decided to be unprepared for need. I, he had a point. To whom it is due. It's a funny phrase. Sounds like something, like you borrowed something and didn't return it, or somebody worked for you and you haven't paid them yet. It's not what it's talking about. I I wrote this down. I don't know who, where it came from. I wish I could tell you who said this, but I had written this down. It says, the true owners of what we call our own are those to whom with it we may do good, and to withhold is a breach of trust. This passage in Proverbs chapter 27, it reflects the biblical view that God has given us everything that we need, and if we don't hoard Or what we learned last week from Ezekiel chapter 34 and Matthew chapter 25, if we don't trample everything that's left over so that nobody else can enjoy the benefits, there's enough to go around. In God's economy, possession of wealth, it isn't, it's stewardship, it's not ownership. Does that make sense? Just because you possess it doesn't mean you own it, you're just a steward of it for God. So we can deny small, easy-to-meet needs within the kind of needs that are within our power to meet, but we can also do something just as bad and cause incredible, unnecessary pain, and that's to delay. And that's the second half of this, this passage, verse 28. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. I promise you this. This is just some ugly advice to people who want to be ugly, all right? So I don't know where you are. You're in this room. You're at home. You're going, yeah, that's me. The quickest way to avoid helping somebody, tell them you'll do it tomorrow. Because several things will hopefully happen, and and you're calculating, you're banking on this, right? I already know this, right? Hopefully somebody else will step in and help, and then they can call back and say, I found somebody, or they'll figure it out, and they can can do it on their own, right? You know that. You know that that happens, and then if that doesn't work, right, procrastination kills the impulse to serve. I promise you, tomorrow, if you felt like serving today, tomorrow you're not. <laughs> it will have cooled. And during the night, the late evening, the next morning, you will have thought of 47 reasons why you probably shouldn't help, right? And if you had waited one more day, you would have had 87 reasons, right? <laughs> A third day and 127 It would have kept growing. Procrastination kills the It just kills it, kills it. Additionally, just, just the callousness, just you understand the callousness of this, right? Your neighbor is in need of something, and you're saying basically, well, I, I'm kind of in the middle of a nap. <laughs> this is really an inconvenient time for me, right? And, and we have the stories in Luke, right? The, the, the horrible judge and the horrible father, 
right? And God is saying, I'm not a horrible judge. You don't need to bang down my door. I'm not a horrible father. I'm not going to give you horrible gifts when you ask for something that you truly need. I'm not that kind of person. God doesn't operate like that. Jesus didn't operate on that like that, and we shouldn't operate like that. You see a need and you fill it. And if I can paraphrase Jesus, feet and babies, right? Care for neither can be denied or delayed, right? If you got bad feet, stinky feet, they need to be addressed. If you got a baby with you, you can't ignore it. You can't be, I'll take care of it tomorrow. You can't do that. You can't do that. Bottom line this morning, don't let the overwhelming number of opportunities to serve keep you from the right opportunities to serve, right? Babies and feet will always need care and attention. So care for them. Pay attention to them. And last week we learned, listen, there will always be the hungry. There will always be the thirsty. There will always be the ill-clothed. There will always be people who are ill and in prison. They need care and attention. They'll always be there. So pay attention to them and care for them. At the very least, you can do that. And when it comes to the more involved decisions to serve, just three things in closing, right? right? Stay open and sensitive to God's guidance, number one. Very simple. Like I said earlier, blessing others and receiving God's blessings hinge on our willingness to move from that awareness to being obedient to meet those needs. C.S. Lewis writes this, and he writes to this idea that in order to, to uh, obey God, we got to love him first, right? And then when we learn to love, it all starts, it all starts, it all starts with being obedient because we don't know how to love. Scripture is so clear on that. This, uh, this is C.S. Lewis. He writes this, I may repeat, do as you would be done by until I'm blue in the face, but I cannot carry it out until I love my neighbor as myself. And I cannot love my neighbor as myself until I learn to love God, and I cannot learn to love God except by learning to obey him. So the catalyst for serving people is obedience. The catalyst for loving God and neighbors is what? Obedience. It all comes down to if the Holy Spirit is directing and, and, and asking you and pointing your eyes to something, will you obey? It all hinges, it all hinges on that. You can care till you're blue in the face, but will you obey when God says right there, go? The second thing, prepare for and act on small opportunities that present themselves to you daily. Right? Might take a bit of your time or talent, maybe investing monetarily just a little bit, words of encouragement. Um, be prepared. And then finally, pay attention to how you're naturally wired or put together. Right? You're going to be good and you're going to be effective at some things and you're, you're really not going to be that good or effective at other things. And, and it's okay because you're, you're only one person. And the 12th chapter of Romans and 12th chapter of Corinthians tell us that's okay. You're only one person, but you're a part of a body. You're a part of a body here. Above all else, keep in mind, I'm only one, but still I'm a, I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can still do something. I will not refuse to do the something I can do. And I, just let me add this fact that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're actually not just one. To borrow a phrase, you're an army of one. <laughs> you're an army of one. Bow your heads. Father, thank you so much for your word. The Old Testament, the New Testament. Father, you've never changed. 
our understanding of you because of Jesus Christ radically changed. And we're forever in debt, forever in debt because of your son, Jesus Christ. And this morning, we, we, we seek his guidance. We seek his eyes. We seek his heart. So, Father, by the power of the Spirit, show us what you need each of us to see. Maybe show us what, what this local body needs to see um, in this community in the way that you want to bless us, but it's going to come about through us blessing others. It's not going to be a separated kind of thing. I, I, just, I just get a feeling. Um, so, Father, open our hearts, open our eyes so that we can see what we need to see and feel what we need to feel. Father, thank you for your son who perfectly showed us how to do these things. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.